Oh, praise God. Praise God for what he's accomplished on our behalf. The mystery of the gospel is what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to invite you to stand with me in just a moment, but I want you to find two sections of scripture in your Bible or on your phone. If you're using your phone app, uh, we're going to be reading uh, a lot of scripture today. Uh, don't apologize for it. Uh, setting the scene uh, first in, in Acts chapter 22 uh, for what Paul is going to talk about in our uh, text today from Ephesians chapter 3 in a series uh, called The Walk, and today we're examining the mystery of the gospel. And uh, Paul's uh, opening, we need the background of, of who Paul is and how Paul came to this wonderful, glorious uh, encounter with God uh, in order for us to set the scene for what we're going to talk about today in terms of the mystery of the gospel. So Acts chapter 22, if you found your place there, Please stand for the reading of God's word as we look at it together. Brothers and fathers, uh, listen now to my defense. Uh, this is verse 1 out of Acts chapter 22. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Caesarea. Uh, and uh, but brought up in, in this city, I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priests and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters uh, from them to the, their associates in Damascus and went uh, there to bring these people to, uh, as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard the, uh, a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I ask? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I ask? Get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. There you will be told uh, all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand to Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to the people of what uh, you have seen and heard. And now, what, you are, uh, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on, the, on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem, and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here 
will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these uh, people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and to beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, Go, I send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this, and then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he is not fit to live. And now if you would move over to Ephesians, uh, beginning at chapter 3, verse 1. This is our text uh, today. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of, Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when, he, when you read this, you can perceive my sight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it, is, uh, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles our fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of, the, of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his spirit. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for, all, for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might, know, uh, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking that you would open our hearts and minds to your word, and most of all, to your, the visitation of your Holy Spirit in our presence today. You can change our lives. Lord, you can, can make us into a new creation. These are things we cannot do by willpower and work and wishing and wanting. But God, what you can do in moments of time, we can never do in a lifetime. Until we invite you today and we open our hearts and minds to your word and ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you as you're seated. I'm sure you do too. I love a good mystery. Uh, I had a funny experience several years ago. I was reminded of it recently because I'm flipping through cable and I saw the movie was there, The Sixth Sense. How many of you saw The Sixth Sense? Great, great mystery, isn't it? Great uh, mystery movie. And uh, my experience with it, I was so excited to get to see it and there was conflicting things that kept happening uh, so that Michelle and I couldn't go. Uh, we were in Las Vegas at the time 
And so finally she, she relented. She said, just go by yourself. You know, you have this window of time, uh, a few hours, and just go watch it, and I'll go see it with you another time. And so I should have, as a good husband, said, no, I'll wait for you, you know, but I didn't. I went. And I bought my ticket and uh, rushed in, and I didn't look at the, uh, the times and didn't look at the gate, the place I was supposed to be. I just saw a movie title. It was The Sixth Sense. And so I ran in to, to go find a seat. The movie was already going. I was a little shocked. I thought, I thought it was a little early. And uh, so I, I was right there when the mystery is revealed, right? <laughs> That's the place I walked in. I ruined the mystery. Uh, I walked into to the scene, you know, where, where he's he, he suddenly, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I won't spoil it for you, but it, it's right there where they expose what this was all about the whole time, you know? And uh, the psychologist that was working with him, you know, was, you know, you all know that watched the movie. So uh, there I was, you know, and, and I was bumming. I was like, I ruined it for myself. And so then I had to go wait till you know, find my actual theater and wait another five or ten minutes before the movie started, knowing the ending already, right? Um, but I do love a good mystery. I, I love to watch movies that... Uh, will un, you know unravel at the end and 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 help you see the the mystery or read books like that? I really enjoy that. Um, Sherlock Holmes, man, some of my favorite books and movies. You know, love uh, Sherlock Holmes movies, uh, but it's 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 really a lot of fun. But that is not really what we're looking at today. That's not the way we think of mystery and what it means to us today. Is not really what Paul is talking about here. So what is he talking about? For Paul. He uses a word to express something beyond natural knowledge. In other words, you know, and we've been talking about this as we rolled through uh, uh, the walk in Ephesians and talked about our walk, that it was God who initiated all this. He had to because we're going to continue to walk in darkness and not understand. It was him that began to shed light and, and, and bring the mystery to life. So this is not something that you and I could read and start unraveling and put the pieces together. You know, I remember in the sixth sense later, the, you know, the producer was saying that they had cues throughout that wherever there was. Uh, something red in the in the scene. It was a cue that something was happening all the way through the movie. Now you want to go back and watch it, don't you? Um, and and uh, so he was. It was something that we could unravel. We could really figure it out, right? But the mystery that Paul is talking about here is something that we cannot figure out without the divine revelation of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is a great mystery, but it, not in the sense that we might expect or, or think about in terms of what we think in, about mysteries. As, as we explore Paul's words in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, uh, we, we see that he, he reveals the gospel as not a puzzle that can be solved uh, by human deduction or reason, but he, he says over and over in this passage that it was it is a wonder and it is it is brought to light by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. The mystery of Christ, uh, he talks about here in this passage. One of these the great mysteries of the gospel is that the Jews and the Gentiles alike would be brought near to God as members of one body, and that God, God is, is the Father of them all. That we are not separated by our, our race, we're not separated by our cultures and, and the things that we grew up around, that we are brought together under Christ. We are one people. And, and this is, uh, he uses the word mystery or mysterion uh, in the, uh, the Greek, and it means a hidden purpose or counsel cannot be understood by 
human wisdom. It cannot be re- it, can, it can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit. And so it, we might say it this way that you would remember it, and that is that it is truth that is arrived at not by speculation or investigation, but only by revelation. Amen? Let's say that together. It is truth that is arrived at not by speculation or investigation, but only by revelation. And now that I know you can read, let's try it one more time. (laughs) Here we go. It is truth that is arrived at not by speculation or investigation, but by revelation. I like what David Wells, a professor, uh, historical systematic theology, he uh, is author of over 20 books, and uh, he, he wrote this. He said, there, there is an invisible boundary between God and ourselves, both with his being and with respect to what we know. We cannot cross the boundary to know him savingly. He is not found in our deepest self. He is outside of the range of our intuitive radar. We are, in fact, alienated from him and shut out from his fellowship and knowledge. We cannot access him on our own terms or in our own time. And that's what Paul's been talking about as we've, as we've uh, studied the walk through Ephesians. Is he's, God has initiated this. God has started it. He initiated this encounter. He wants this relationship with you. And, and he is the only one that can bring to light understanding about it. It is not ever going to be arrived at by us. We're not going to be walking down the street saying, you know, I am just a horrible person. And that's, you know, it's just, it's just I, need, I need a savior. You know, that's the hardest step in, in salvation for any person is the ownership of who they are. The depravity of their own life. You know, in, in the 12 steps program, they, they teach you to, you know, the first three steps, and they're really the first three steps of salvation. They, they simplify it by just saying, I can't, he can, I think I'll let him. <laughs> and it is, it is uh, arrived at, though, by revelation, where we come to the place where, like, I can't, I am powerless in my own self to do anything to change myself. We try willpower, we try all kinds of efforts, but we have to arrive at that place and it's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, our need for a Savior. Now we spoke of this uh, in in our opening messages, how God initiated this uh, track towards us to to come and and encounter us and bring us to himself. And, And the crucial understanding makes way for the mystery that is revealed through the gospel. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, the dividing wall of the separation has come down. And who brought it down? Me. I had a hammer, and I was just, (laughs) bang. No way. This was a wall that could not be brought down except by the power of God. And when he rent the veil after uh, after Jesus uh, said it is finished and it's it's done, I've I've paid the price, and the veil in the temple was rent from, from the top to the bottom, that wall just came crashing down, and now we have this this. uh, this uh, separation no more. We are brought together in Christ. There is peace, as we talked about, between Jews, Gentiles. There can be peace throughout all of the world if Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is empowered to be what He needs to be in every one of our lives, right? And that, that is the hope of all the world. That is our hope, is inviting Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our lives. Now, the Gentiles 
who had surrendered to the gospel of, of Jesus Christ uh, were heirs, uh, Paul is teaching here, in Christ also. And this was a problem in that day because uh, the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. They would, you know, there was a, there was a lot of uh, this, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, racism kind of thing. They'd separate. They would even cross the street to get away from them, thinking these are unclean. These are pagan people. Want nothing to do with them. And uh, and there was a lot of this kind of stuff going on both ways, right? The other on the other side, it was like these are religious zealot people. We don't want anything to do with them. And uh, there was there was a lot of this uh, kind of stuff going on. And Paul is saying, you know, it is Christ that's healing this this great uh, breach between the two. It is Christ that is bringing us together. And they have surrendered to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are also heirs, just like you. And you you heard him reading and uh, you know what he was saying and. Acts 22, and when they heard that, they, those people that were in that group got furious with him. No, we're not. You know, they, they, people want the separation. They want the distance. They want to think that they're better than someone else. It is, it is true of all of us that in one way or another, you know, we can be lifted up by pushing someone else down, right? We're uh, separating ourselves from someone. I'm not as bad as someone else. Even as Christians, the danger in, a, in our lives is to look at someone who is, is involved or engaged in, in terrible evil and sin and saying, you know, thank God I'm not like that person and not really see the depravity within each one of us. Our desperate need for God. So Paul's saying... These are also heirs because they have done the same thing you did. They surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. So in other words, Paul was saying they had not, these pagans had not changed the gospel to fit their pagan beliefs, but the gospel had changed them. The gospel has changed them. And it's true of our day. What was true 2,000 years ago is, is true today. We cannot take the gospel and try to rationalize it or change it to fit our culture and our time, and neither could the pagans of that day. They had to come the way everybody comes, in, in humility and in desperate need for God, as God initiated relationship with them and has initiated relationship with us, and they had to lay everything down and say, I am a sinner, I need a Savior, Right? And so, uh, because of this, they became members of the body of Christ. He says, the mystery of Christ, uh, which was made known to the sons of men in other, uh, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. I was thinking this past week about the sweeping charismatic renewal that took place over uh, the, the 70s and 80s, uh, many track it back to beginning in the 60s with the Jesus movement and that kind of thing. And uh, I'm in the company of some who understand this. You, you walked through this. And I'm also in the company of some of you who are way too young. You know, you were born in the late 80s or early 90s and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But the charismatic renewal was sweeping the country. There was nightly news about what was going on. Uh, people, it was a great revival, but there was uh, one of the part of the emphasis of it was gifts of the Spirit, and people were speaking in tongues or prophetic gifts were uh, in operation. In and uh, so there was even news anchors that were going into churches and and uh, filming, you know, and doing broadcasts about what was happening across the nation, beginning with the Jesus movement, which was incredible. Uh, kids, that you know, I'm thinking today too on the drive in that. The hippies are in their 70s, it's, it's like 60s and 70s now, but 
the hippies of the of the 1960s and and uh, you know early 70s were you know trying to find themselves and they had gone uh, on drives uh, all across the country to different locations, uh, Haight-Ashbury and uh, and uh, other places. You know we remember Woodstock historically, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, young people looking for themselves, and in the midst of all of that, Jesus shows up, and just incredible revival begins to take place. And there are whole movements that were birthed out of what took place uh, in the revival in parks and in. Um, you know, uh, small apartment complexes and all across the nation. And it led to uh, the ongoing charismatic renewal that, that took place in the 70s and the 80s. I, I give you a little bit of background to tell you the story about a friend of mine, a mentor and friend of mine, Judson Cornwall. And he was um, invited uh, during this season, which was really uncommon for a pastor of a particular denomination, especially one that was, was charismatic or Pentecostal, to wind up in a mainline denomination, um, uh, you know, Catholic, Presbyterian, um, you know, Episcopalian. It was just unheard of. There was no pulpit swapping kind of thing going on. It's modern day. There are a little bit more of that than, than we ever saw during that, that time period. And so Judson was being invited as a charismatic and Pentecostal. He was being invited to pulpits to speak where previously uh, they had been very unwelcomed and those kinds of things had been uh, you know, not accepted or not, uh, you know, something to be talked about in, in church services. And so uh, he was just answering the call. He was going wherever God sent him. He, he later authored several books and, um, you know, he just, just had a great uh, length, great ministry. Uh, but he was telling me the story when he came to visit us at our church on one occasion that the denomination to which he belonged had... Uh, uh, certain leadership there had taken offense, just really a couple of guys that had taken offense with him going to these other places uh, to speak. And they just felt it was inappropriate for him uh, to be going to some of these settings and speaking and, and talking to people about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it got to the point where he, he came before the body, the group of, of leadership that had uh, authority over the credentials he carried, and he said, you know, uh, I've, I've come here today to turn in my credentials because I am going to continue to talk about the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever I'm invited. And if that means I can't carry credentials with this organization, I'm happy to leave them here and walk away. And, of course, the lion's share of the leadership uh, was very humbled and moved and, and uh, they, they said, no, we don't want you to do that. In fact, we want to help you. We want to see doors open wherever the gospel can be taken, wherever the fullness of the gospel can be taken. We want you to go. We want you to take the ministry uh, wherever God leads you. And it was, it, it was such a time and a season where this, this mystery of the gospel was being uh, revealed all over. And, and uh, there was this, this huge transformation across America of people just opening to God on his terms. God, I have put you in a box, and I said, things have to go this way. We have to have two songs, an offering, and this and that, and, and everything has to go this way. God, today, you're out of the box, and whatever you want to do, we're showing up uh, to, to just love on you and to minister to you. I remember a great gathering during this charismatic renewal when my dad uh, first took a church in Arkansas. It was happening in, in a hotel. They had no home church, and 
And uh, it was just growing week by week, and there was 500 or so people at this point, and my dad, uh, they asked him to come and speak, you know, and to share about the fullness of, of, of the gospel. And it, it was an incredible season, incredible time, great revival sweeping across America. Uh, but Judson talked about quoting this passage and many more uh, to, to those that he stood uh, before to let them know, I'm going to preach Jesus. Paul said this, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I want you to hear me this morning, though, uh, in, in about uh, and listen with, with, with ears uh, attuned to, to what we hear in terms of culture and, and hear what Paul is saying. He was opening the, the gospel and the message to everyone. Everyone should come and hear the gospel. But cultural Christianity would say to us that calling out sin is wrong. And everyone deserves to be accepted in the body of, of Christ, even those who may embrace sinful habits. Cultural Christianity would say we're, we're all on the same page. And we should all just come and no one should judge anyone else. And Christians have been uh, taught in culture... Uh, not in scripture, right? They've been taught in culture that you don't judge, you know. Uh, judging is bad, and, and uh, you know, if you judge, you're going to be judged. And, and they, they know enough about scripture to quote one of them out of context, right? <laughs> but the Bible teaches us that we are supposed to know the fruits, that we're supposed to know those that labor among us, right? That we're not supposed to have any fellowship with those who are, are engaged in works of darkness and evil. And so the, the Bible uh, tells us that we are to take a stand for all of the gospel. And not to let a generation say, you know, that's an old book. And if Jesus were here today, he would accept this and that and something else. What it says, it says. And we are to live out. And where we fall short, God's grace promises to pick us back up. We are not perfect as Christians. We are forgiven as Christians right? And we are day by day trying to grow in Christ and become all that he's called us to be. Culture would say, we all see the gospel differently. It's a mystery, so you don't judge one another uh, when you read scripture. And the Bible tells us differently. The Bible tells us that we, we should be bearing fruit. And, and those that aren't bearing fruit need to be engaged lovingly by the, by the congregation and by those around us and say, what's going on? You know, your walk with the Lord is, is demonstrating, you know, that you're showing no fruit. You're showing a barren tree. There's no love. There's no joy. There's no patience. There's no long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, temperance. All these things are gone. Instead, we're seeing pride. And so what's going on? How can we pray with you? How can we come around you and love you? Not how can we gossip about you and tell other people, but how can we come and engage with you and pray with you and bring you to a place where you surrender all of your life back to Jesus Christ and make him the Lord and the leader of your life? Culture would say loving everybody means you love their sinful choices as well. Not so, the Bible says. The Bible says we can love people, but not love their choices. The Bible teaches us to guard our hearts, to set uh, a guard around ourselves. If, if you are a parent and, and, and have, uh, I don't suspect anyone in this room, but if you're, I'm using an example, you're a parent and you have an, a, a child that's addicted to drugs, 
and they will do anything to get that drug, including taking money out of your purse and out of your wallet and out of your bank account and stuff like that. Well, the Bible says you are able to set boundaries around to protect your heart, to protect your environment. We have had at times to say to our children, when, when sin might rise up in their life in a manner of speaking, there is the door. You will not live this out in this environment. We have to protect the environment here, the children, so that all of them aren't running astray and going after uh, the, the things that the enemy is drawing them into. Loving everybody does not mean we love their sinful choices. We love them. We pray for them. We are there to minister to them as they are ready for it, right? But we will protect what God has, has uh, placed in our hearts and lives. And we will protect our hearts from being destroyed so that we are no longer effective for the kingdom because we will set boundaries. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is not culturally adaptable. It was the truth from the beginning of time, and it is the truth now. Paul said, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. The unchangeable gospel truth is the same for every generation. We read earlier about the trajectory of Paul's life being transformed and changed by an encounter with God that, that made him blind, that knocked him down, that, that uh, as he opened himself to the, the initiation of God in his life, uh, trying to bring him back to a saving relationship, the trajectory of Paul's life completely changed. He was moving in another direction. He was headed for destruction. He was headed to, for, for eternity separated from God, a place, uh, a home called hell. He was moving in that direction. And his trajectory was totally changed by the gospel. The gospel changes surrendered lives. The gospel also requires surrendered lives to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul talks about doing that with the Gentiles. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery of the hidden for ages of God who created all things. Look at what was accomplished by the church when we engage in the mission that Christ has given us. Paul talks about it here in this passage. Here's what's accomplished. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is a term that uh, he illuminates a little bit further on and talks about. We'll look for it as we, as we examine chapter 6. There are these, the prince of the power of the air is, is one way it's, it, it's described in Scripture. The enemy is, is uh, about, roaming about the earth, says, seeking whom he may devour. In the book of Job, early in the book of Job, you see this, this council, this gathering of, of these, these uh, demonic spirits and of Satan himself uh, to encounter. And it, it was the beginning of the testing of Job. It's a, is, is his challenge to God. If you will remove your protection from him and let me strike him with, with uh, various kinds of, of, of sicknesses and harm and, and pain and suffering, then you'll find that he'll curse you and, and he will not love you anymore. He will reject you and turn you away. God was pleased to allow Job to be a testimony 
to the authorities and rulers of darkness. Not just to those who were um, engaged and knew God and had a personal relationship. It's great for your testimony to be heard in the realm of the church, right? Growing up in the church, my dad was a pastor. We actually had a segment of service called testimony service. People would stand up and talk about it. But nobody out there heard it. Nobody, nobody of those, those uh, spirits was listening and tuning it in. But here's what happens when the gospel is practiced. Paul says the rulers and authorities in heavenly places are notified. These powers and mights also include cultural, economic, and political forces, the kinds that are shaping lives every day. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, None of the rulers of this age, none of the rulers of this age understood this in talking about the mystery of what happened with Christ on the cross. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know about it until it was all finished, right? They couldn't read ahead and see what was going on. And Paul is saying that when we engage in the mission of all the God, for all the people, you send a notice that, to the would-be rulers and authorities throughout the cosmos that the people of this planet belong to the God of this universe. And he is, is, is uh, working to bring them back to himself in relationship. And it's a message they hate to hear, but every time we practice the mission and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it thunders. It thunders in the courts of hell. You are telling them that they are living on borrowed time. There is, a, a, in, in, in Revelations, it talks about at the end time that, that hell will be cast into the lake of fire. And it talks about the, the enemy himself being loosed for a season on the earth during the, uh, or right after the millennial reign of Christ. And then him being shackled and thrown in with all of the demonic spirits into the lake of fire. I heard a pastor say one time, I kind of like to think of that too, the shortest, most midget angel <laughs> and it was the one that was locking Satan down. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to be, but it's going to be glorious, man, when we, when we are witnesses of that. But he knows that's coming by the proclamation of the gospel, by what you and I are doing. He knows that's coming. And he's working hard and vigilantly because his hour is closing. The time is coming to a close and, and, and the end is near. And every time we proclaim the gospel, we shout that throughout hell. <laughs> not just here on earth, not only in the heavens where they rejoice and shout, but it thunders in hell. They know the days are numbered. He said, Paul goes on to say, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Two things I want to talk to you about briefly, and we're closing uh, on this, this ending passage. First of all, Paul is, is saying here, God planned that you would be here in his family and that you would be engaged in his mission. It is eternal purpose. You want a sense of purpose, mission, what you are supposed to be doing on planet Earth. God planned it out that you are supposed to be here and engaged in mission. The second thing he says here is that you've been given access to the throne room. Access to the throne room. You have ability to move right in and talk to God 
You don't have to have someone else do it for you. You have access. He's invited you. Come on in. Let's talk. And it says in Hebrews, we can come with boldness. We can come with boldness. I was standing in the tee box uh, on the eighth hole in Scottsdale about 25 years ago. And uh, Phil Mickelson was getting ready to tee off. And I was really proud of myself because I had gotten there really early, you know, while all the rest of the crowd was at hole seven, you know, I was hole eight waiting. And I knew that Phil was coming up and standing right there. He's a Phoenix product. And I was happy to be standing there watching him, you know, right there just within a few feet of him. Uh, when suddenly, you know, the crowd started pushing and shoving and, and uh, you know, it was, it was pressing in. There was a buzz of noise and, and Phil stepped out of the tee box. He was lined up getting ready. He steps out of the tee box and, and uh, he turned around and he was looking at me straight in the eye, you know, and I thought, finally, I've been noticed. The world knows uh, how important I am in the scheme of things, you know. <laughs> but I realized I was getting pushed a lot from the left side, and I turned to my left to see. Phil wasn't really looking at me. Um, he was looking at Kevin Costner, who was standing right by me. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm standing next to Kevin Costner, and the, the crowd had pushed him practically in my lap, and he's signing a few things for people that they're shoving in, trying to get him to sign. Who knows how they knew to even bring this stuff. I, you know, there was posters and everything else, but I didn't even know he was going to be there, especially standing next to me, right? And so they, he signs a few of these things, and then his people clear everybody out. They start pushing people back. And so it's just me and Kevin Costner standing there watching Phil, you know? And I'm like, I got access. <laughs> I could not think of a thing to start up a conversation. I, you know, I think it came to my mind from Dances and Wolves, Tatanka, but <laughs> I couldn't even say it. I was just standing there and looking at him. He was looking at me, and there were nobody else around us, just the two of us standing there had access. And so we just kind of smiled at each other, and we looked at Phil, and Phil went back to the tee box, and, you know, he crushed the ball, and uh, soon after, everyone began to disappear. And I was thinking back of my drive back home of all the things I could have said, you know, the lines from movies and different kinds of things, you know, when I had access. And it reminded me of the access that we have with God. And, he, you know, it doesn't, you don't really have to know what to say, do you? I mean, you, you've got this kind of access, and he just wants you to be there. Have you ever just enjoyed, like, your, your loved one, a, a spouse, or, you know, maybe your, your parents, uh, you know, you can remember back to even when you were a child, for those of you who are adults, that the comfort of just hanging out with mom and dad and, you know, or somebody that you really love and just, just sitting by them and you have access, you know, you have access and you don't, you don't really have to say anything at all, do you? I mean, it's just like, I, I've got access here. I'm just, it's just so great to be here and I just really enjoy hanging out with you. Do you really know that you have that kind of access with God, the ruler of the universe? It's a great mystery for us outside of, of our personal relationship, but once it's enlightened to us through the Holy Spirit, we recognize that access that we have, and, and it is so great. You can come boldly before the throne of grace, it says. That's why we can come boldly. You know, he didn't say... 
come uh, to God and get ready for your spanking, you know, for all the terrible things that you did, you know. Get ready for some punishment. God's going to be yelling at you for a, a decade here. Um, no, it says that it is a throne of grace, and we can come, and we have access, and God's invited us. It's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? I want to invite you to stand. We're going to be worshiping in song together. But to take a moment today and to gain access to his presence and say, Lord, I come to you just as I am. And I want to be in your presence and I invite you to speak to me. I want to listen to you. I want to hear what you have to say to me. And I, I love you, Lord. I praise you. And I thank you.